God, I thank You, Lord, for this time together. God, I pray that You would help us over as many times as we meet, God, that we would grow stronger together, that we would get better, that we would make progress spiritually, emotionally, physically, and Father, I pray that we would even make it pragmatically on a practical level, Father God, that we would understand that You put logic and reason together. It existed in Your mind before anything existed, Father, and that we can use that same reason, Lord Jesus, to, 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 to effectively build Your kingdom. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I pray. Amen. All right, so... The purposes of these meetings is at least to start getting a core group of people together, men together, where we're meeting regularly. Um, this is going to wind up continuing forever. Um, we're probably going to change the material up after we get done with this, though. So the book that everybody has that's in front of us. Does everybody have a book, by the way? Everybody's got a book, right? I gave everybody a book so far. Okay. Oh, you never got one? So this is what we're trying to do here. Yep. We're going to go through this book. Every time we meet, we're going to go through a chapter. Now, the book, I'm warning you now, is not that easy to read. It's not that easy to read. I picked it on purpose. All right, I picked it on purpose. It's 12 rules. It lays out 12 rules for life. The author lays out 12 rules for life, quote unquote, right? 12... Uh, Ways in which you could live that could just make your life better that everybody should be living by, right? He uses a lot of scripture in there. Although he's not a Christian, he's very close to being a Christian. You could look him up. His name is Jordan Peterson. Just about everybody knows him. He's one of the most famous people on the planet right now. Um, the entire secular culture that we see on the left hates this guy's guts. They've done everything. Death threats, done everything they can to stop him. They even barred his medical license. Um, He's very smart, a lot of wisdom. So the book is a little hard to read. The reason why is because you'll notice in the beginning of every chapter, he goes on a little bit of a rant. So there's a little bit of ranting in there, and then he winds up getting to the principle. He uses the rant to bring himself to the principle. When you get to the principle, it's very powerful. Now, the reason why it's important that we're reading a book that's a little bit tough to read is because most people in our culture don't read. All right, reading brings knowledge, knowledge brings power. Everybody agrees with this, right? This is a big problem, and it's especially a problem amongst men, because if you look, we're going to look at a couple of statistics tonight. This is just the intro class, but if you look, you'll see that women, on average, are becoming more and more over time smarter than men. They're reading more than men, and we're starting, we're turning into a culture where knowledge is becoming femme-centric, okay? Knowledge is becoming femme-centric, right? It's, it, it's turning into, um, and this is not a knock on women, you just turn on the TV, right? You, you watch a sitcom, The Simpsons, right? Homer's an idiot. What's the other one? Family Guy, right? The husband's a moron. Peter's an idiot, right? It's always the man who's the idiot, the woman who's bringing the reason, right? Um, I, think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of reason for that, and I, don't think that, I think that society does that on purpose. Um, with that being said, the book is a little bit tough to read. Do your best. So what, you're, what the homework is going to be for us today, uh, for next time that we meet, is going to be read chapter one, take as many notes as you can on chapter one. Anything that pops out at you, anything, just write it down, jot it down with a little dash. What I would do if I was you, if I was taking notes, I already have my own notes, but what I would do is I would write a little dash, write the note, and then write the page number next to the note so you can cite the page number, all right? You own the books. You can mark up the books. Do whatever you want. If you want to get little tabs and put tabs in the book, you could do that too. Um, get a highlighter. Do whatever you got to do, but make sure that you come next week 
with talking points because we have to engage with each other on the talking points, okay? This is just the intro class to get things fired up. But the idea here is to be talking about these issues, to, to, to go around the room talking about them and really interact and getting, getting everybody's feedback on them and then that's, that's the way that we're going to grow stronger together, all right? All right, let's start with this. What is the purpose of these meetings? What is the purpose? This is, this is the first purpose, okay? The reason why we're meeting. I'm just going to write this down. Number one, the reason why we're meeting is because Satan The, the first reason why, we, we're, why we're meeting and we're doing these meetings is because Satan has levied an attack against manhood. We are living in a state of crisis as men, especially in the United States, primarily the United States. We are living in a state of crisis without even realizing it. We don't even know it. It's because the powers that be have brainwashed, in, have brainwashed us into not realizing that there's an issue. By the way, if anybody has anything to say, has any questions, wants to bring anything up, raise your hand, call it out, whatever you want to do, okay? Secularism is what we're fighting. So this is the enemy. Does anybody know what secularism is? Can anybody give me like the textbook definition of secularism off the top of your head? Okay, that's close. That's not bad. That's good. That's good. Very close. That's basically it. It's, it, it, it's it, so the textbook definition of secularism is the idea that man can achieve life. Bjorn, I got a book for you right over there next to Rich. That man can achieve purpose and morality without God. That is essentially what secularism is. The idea that man can achieve purpose and morality without God. Okay. That's extremely dangerous. Why is that extremely dangerous? Because as believers, we should know that you can't actually have purpose or morality without God, right? You can't have purpose or morality without, without God. Without God, um, there, there, there's no purpose because life is ultimately meaningless. There's no afterlife. Life ends at the grave. Amen? You guys all agree with that, right? You can't have objective moral values and duties without God because without an objective moral lawgiver, we have nothing but... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my God. Um, you, have, you have nothing but relativism without God saying this is right, this is wrong. We have nothing but sociocultural relativism without, without God saying thou shalt not murder, right? Why is murder wrong? It's mur murder is wrong because God said it's wrong, right? If God doesn't say it's wrong, then some cultures murder, other, cult other cultures don't, which makes one right, which makes one, which makes one wrong. Right? So that's the danger of secularism, right? That's our enemy. This is the greatest enemy that has raised its head against the church of Jesus Christ at this point. It is, com secularism is completely anti-Christ. It is anti-Christ and anti-God. You understand? So Satan, this is the reason, the first reason why we're meeting. Satan has levied an attack against manhood. The attack that he's levied against manhood is coming in the form of secularism. Okay? Secularism has ruined the biblical idea of masculinity and femininity. You're going to have to write that down. Secularism has ruined the biblical ideal of masculinity and femininity. Okay, it's, it has distorted the Garden of Eden. Does anybody know how it's done that? Well, we're demasculating the men, right? Demasculating the women. They're blurring the lines of gender. Okay. Everybody's views 
So did you just hear what he said? They're blurring the lines of gender, right? They've created um, a very uh, a weakened state for men. They've emasculated men, right? We have this third wave feminist movement that absolutely hates men, right? You guys, I mean, I'm sure if, if I'm saying anything that no, that you guys don't understand, or you have a question about a term that I use in whatever in, in, in any case, just raise your hand, okay? Or call out and be like, "Hey, explain that." I don't know what the hell you just said. Um, masculinity is now viewed as toxic. Has anybody heard that term? Toxic masculinity? Okay, masculinity is now viewed as toxic. This is problematic. Why? Masculinity is from God. It's biblical, right? True masculinity is biblical. How many classes or courses have people taught on biblical masculinity? Right? You, you, you hear about these things. Biblical masculinity. True masculinity is biblical. You don't even have to call it biblical masculinity because it comes from God, just like femininity did, right? God gave women their nature. God gave men their nature. Both men and women are created equal. There's no doubt about that. We know that. The Imago Dei, we're both created in the image of God. However, we both have different functions. And what the secularist movement has done, it is, has told men and women, no, 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 those functions don't actually exist. You don't have to worry about that. You can just do what thou wilt. You can do whatever you want, and we're still going to get the same outcome. We're going, to get, we're going to get more into this. I believe that this is why over the last 50 years we have gotten a very feminine version of Jesus. A very feminine version of Jesus. We have, you, you see this a lot. There is a, there's like a, uh, a hyper-meekness cookie-cutter mold in the church today. Okay, And now some of you, may, this may be the first church you've ever been to. So you're not going to get that here. But I'm talking like across the United States, there is this strange cookie cutter mold where all of the leaders are just talking like this and everything is so wonderful and love your neighbor and God loves everybody. Right? That is the mold in church, okay? And, and if I'm to be completely honest, I'm, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with being a kind person or being gentle at times. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that's not the norm. I don't think that is supposed to be the norm because what it does is it puts, it puts men in a situation where they, 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 they get attached to that, that character or that thing, whatever that is, that cookie cutter niche behind the pulpit, and they think they have to emulate that in order to be godly. Does that make sense? You guys following me so far? If anybody has any questions, call out. I'm going to read a study. I already read this uh, a couple of weeks ago when I preached. But Ryan Burge of the D-Church Initiative, he conducted a survey with just over 4,000 respondents. For the purposes of the study, the term D-Church was used to describe a respondent who at one time in their lives attended church at least once per month, but now attends either seldom or never. The goal was to better understand the external factors and personal reasons why people leave church. In partnership with Burge, we sought to examine the data about young men specifically. Young men specifically. In one striking statistic, 96% of all young men between the ages of 27 and 45 reported that they are at least two years removed from their religious peak, with almost 70% saying they are 10 or more years removed. This is an extremely damning statistic for all young men. Between the ages of 27 and 45, 70% of those people are saying, I haven't been to church in 10 years. So 70% of those people between the ages of 27 and 45 are not saved. These are just men. So 
Who, who here thinks that they know the answer? Why, why, does anybody, why do you think men are leaving the church? Because it's clear from these studies, and this is just one study, I could say other ones, that men are clearly leaving the church. Why do you think men are leaving the church? You guys could call out answers. They're not getting what they need. I think that's patently obvious. Let's get more specific. What do you need? Balls. We need balls. Okay, that's good. We need a little bit more testicular fortitude. That's a good thing. We need more of a spine, right? What else do we need? We need more strong male leaders. We definitely need more strong male leadership. I'm going to get into the statistics about that, okay? The church is starting to flop out of the direction of having more. There's a lot more women in church than there are men in church. We're going to start talking about that more often, right? So men, men are leaving the church. I think the reason why is because, like, we're basically what we're talking about here is that the church it doesn't actually give men anything to work with. really doesn't give us much tools. The only tools that we really get as men are turn the other cheek, which we butchered because no one actually knows what that means, um, and like servant leadership, right? I mean, who here is married? Anybody here married? Who here has had, who here has been married long enough to have a, like a, a rough time in marriage? All right, now, I mean, I've only been married for seven years, but I went through a pretty terrible time in marriage where my wife and I were almost divorced. Let me tell you guys something. I was scouring the church, scouring the church, and Rich knew me probably more than anybody in here at that time, scouring the church for help from men. I didn't get anything. I got nothing. These are the problems that we're having. I had counselors telling me, well, you need to love your wife like Christ loves the church. I know, I... I read Ephesians before. I already know that. The problem is I want to kill her, right? It's hard to love her because I want to strangle her. Give me something else. We don't actually give people tools. We try to take a Bible, and we try to either hit you over the head with it, or we try to throw it down your throat, but we don't actually know how to extrapolate what's in it, at least in my experience, how to really extrapolate what's in it and give it to people in a digestible manner. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to do that and how to properly exegete the scripture, you're going to read a passage like, turn the other cheek, and you're going to think that Jesus was a pacifist. You're going to think that that saying actually means if somebody hits me in the face, that I should literally turn my head and give them the other cheek so they can break my jaw, and I'll need reconstructive surgery. And that is, in fact, false. Now, the I, I wrote this down. I'm just going to say it. The church is very busy trying to reshape manly traits under the assumption that manly traits are toxic. The church is too busy trying to reshape manly traits under the assumption that manly traits are toxic. Does anybody know what I mean by that? I'm just going to give you an example, right? Like, um, Because we've got to speak freely here. It's the only way it's actually going to work. <clears throat> Let's say somebody came in here who was trying to hurt people in the church, right? They would, they, they, I know, a predator comes in here. I don't know. Guy's trying to, he's going near the children. He's going here, he's looking around, right? Right. Thank you, Jack. Now, let's say we found out it's on the evening news. Pastor Mike Testa, so-and-so, also a park worker, got into an altercation at church one day, blah, 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 blah. Guy has cracked orbital bones in his face, lost some of his teeth, right? Now, that, that would reflect, in our culture... That would reflect poorly on me. It would reflect poorly on me. And somebody would say, like, well, there's a Christ-like way to do things. Let me tell you something. Jesus says he was the good shepherd, okay? Shepherds kill wolves. That's part of their job, okay? 
That was part of the, their job in the ancient world. Now, I'm not saying that that gives us the license to go around and beat the snot out of everybody. What I'm saying, though, is that actually stopping a predator is a good thing, and it's the job of a shepherd, and it's the job of men in the church to do things like this. And in the event that we actually did that in our society, things are so warped, we would be looked at as evil. That's problematic. That's deeply problematic. Do you guys agree? Do you disagree? Another thing, another reason why I think, this is my reason, why I think that young men are leaving the church. I just want to give him a book. Another reason why I think young people are leaving the church, according to these studies, okay, is because the church offers nothing for young men in terms of women advice. Okay, I'm going to say it again. The church does not offer young men women advice. It does not offer good dating advice. The only dating advice that I ever got at a youth group or from a pastor in a church was that was 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 to whoever I liked, I needed to love her because she's a sister in Christ. She's their sister in Christ. Anybody, has anybody heard that? She's your sister in Christ? Okay, she's your sister in Christ. I want somebody to tell me what the hell that means. She's my sister in Christ. I want to have sex with her. I'm having I'm 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 fighting off thoughts of this girl naked. I love her. I want to be with her. She's my sister in Christ. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> It just doesn't fit, right? But, but, but those impulses and those urges, those are, those are your, that's your toxic masculinity acting up inside of your body, those impulses, right? And you're being told that those things are bad. Now, I'm, of course lust is bad. Jesus says it. It has, to be, it has to be under control, right? However, those urges are completely normal. That's your testosterone. That's your survival nature. That's your body, your mind telling you to procreate, right? To, to, to get your seed out of your body, put it somewhere else where you can sire children. Okay, these are all good things. Amen? This is the way God made us. We're being told these things are bad, and we're being told that our manly traits are toxic, and the more you do that, the more you, you go upstairs. The more we do that, the more we're going to wind up with a feminized society. Amen? Any questions so far? All right, here's the, here's the second reason why we're doing this. Number two. We will be un- Stoppable. We will absolutely, the church of Jesus Christ will be absolutely unstoppable when the men in the church take their rightful seat in society, in the church, and in their families. Amen. We will be unstoppable when we take our rightful seat in society, in church, and in our families. Does anybody know the quickest way to destroy any civilization? Why? Why is that the easiest way? That's right. That's right. Because regardless of whatever you believe, however old the earth is, you believe it's 10,000 years old, a gazillion years old, whatever the case may be, we, the only reason why civilization has made it as far as it has is because there were men to fight wars. You following me? If men were not fighting wars, we would not have a civilization. And I am telling you, and, this, and, I, and, and you can call me a conspiracy theorist, you can call me a nut, I am telling you that the elites know this. They know this. The secularist powers at B that are seeking out to control the world and to stop the kingdom of God from moving on earth know this, and they are actively trying to destroy men because they know that it is only men that will be able to fight this battle. With good women behind them, don't get me wrong. All right, I have the best wife in the world. I'm not knocking it. I'm saying, though, it is the men that take the guns, go to the battlefield. It is the men that get off the boats and storm the beaches of Normandy. Amen? Now, 
There are more women in church than men based on studies. Based on what I just read to you, all these guys between the ages of 20-whatever and 50 are all leaving the church in droves. What does that mean? There's naturally more women in church than men. You've got to write this down. If there's more women in church than men, that means that wives are dragging their husbands to church. If there's more women in church than men, wives are dragging their husbands to church. You guys tell me, is that the role for the woman? No. Talking about generally, right? Generally, right? Yeah. Generally, right. Generally. I'm, now, there may, be a, there may be an outlier, right? Let's just say you have a girl who's saved and the guy isn't, right? And there's just one of those situations. Then, of course, the woman's going to have to be the spiritual leader in that case. But we know what the biblical prescription would be normally. And again, look, my mom's a pastor. I'm not knocking women in any way, shape, or form. But at the end of the day, we know Adam and Eve both had authority in the garden, right? But God gave Adam headship, okay? God gave Adam the responsibility over his family in that capacity. So if we have wives that are dragging their husbands to church, it's a role that's not fit for a woman, and it's going to create a lopsided, it's going to create a lopsided balance in the church. More and more in the church, the leadership role of the man is being diminished. You can't have the wife being the spiritual lead for that long, okay? If the wife is dragging the man to church, and I'm saying this generally, this may not be anybody in the room, I'm just saying, but if you, if you, if you, if you stay in that for too long, okay, it winds up putting the woman in a position that God did not fit for her. She's not, she's not ordained to be in that position. It makes the woman the spiritual lead, and the man is cowering now to the woman spiritually. Okay, because let's just be honest, okay? The person who has the most authority spiritually is going to be the person who's going to be leading that relationship. It's just the way that it is, naturally, just the way that it is, all right? If my dad, for whatever reason, got out of jail and, 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 came, and, and married my mom, let's say they got married, right? Who, who's going to be the lead in that relationship? If my dad becomes a Christian, my mom is naturally going to overpower him spiritually. She's going to know way more, right? He's going to have to learn a whole lot about the gospel, about Christianity, about diff different values, how, how they reflect in culture, right? And if that goes on for too long, it's a problem. So the men have to step up. The men have to up their game spiritually. I wrote this down. It's kind of a side note, um, but we know what's happening here with feminism. We see what's happening, right? We see all these things that are taking place in our society. All of this fails Feminism fails in hard times, okay? Feminism fails in hard times. All you need is a snowstorm, right? All you need is a really bad snowstorm, and feminism goes out the window. So whatever we have going on in the United States, the only reason why our culture can stay in the position that it is right now is because we're in good times. I mean, granted, we're in terrible economic times, but I'm talking sociologically over the course of thousands of years, right? Like, we're never going to go hungry. At least I hope not, right? But the majority of, of America is obese anyway, right? So, like, there's no bad times coming. You don't even have to shovel your snow anymore. There's going to be a truck with a plow on it that comes down your block. Thank you, Fabian. That's going to get, that, that, that we're going we're gonna to have clean streets. You see what I'm saying? However, it makes us easy to kill. Feminism makes us easy to kill. And we need to realize that we are at war with secularism. We're at war with this thing. We cannot be easy to kill when we're at war. If you're easy to kill when you're at war, you're going to die. 
and, and, and nobody's going to win the battle, and then we lose. Now, this is the third thing, I'm, I'm, the next point I'm going to say. Christian marriages are subpar without strong male leadership. Christian marriages are subpar without strong male leadership. I'm going to read this study real quick. Professor Bradley Wright, a sociologist at the University of Connecticut, explains from his analysis of people who identify as Christians but rarely attend church that 60% of these have been divorced. Of those who attend church regularly, 38% have been divorced. Other data from additional sociologists of family and religion suggest a significant marital stability divide between those who take their faith seriously and those who do not. Bradford Wilcox, a leading sociologist at the University of Virginia and director of the National Marriage Project, finds from his own analysis that active conservative Protestants who regularly attend church have a 35% less likely to or 35 less likely chance to di to divorce compared to those who have no affiliation. Norm nominally attending conservative Protestants are 20% more likely to divorce compared to secular Americans. I'm going to read that again. Nominally attending conservative Protestants are 20% more likely to divorce compared to secular Americans. So lukewarm Christians, I'm going to use that, that phrase, that attend church regularly are 20% more likely to divorce than secular couples. Isn't that wild? So some church is not enough. Okay. Now, if if you if you attend church regularly and you take your faith seriously, we see that those marriages last a lot longer than those that don't. So, imagine the, what I just what I just read before. Right? There's more women in church than men. Okay. The wives are dragging their husbands to church. The husband really doesn't want to be there. The wife has to drag them. That's a nominal Christian family. It's not being led properly. Okay. So, what's going to happen to that marriage? It's going to fall apart. How do I know that? It's statistics. It's just numbers. It's just math right now. This is just math. That's all that we're doing here. We're just going through the math. That's a big problem, folks. So again, men have to take their role as the male, as the male leaders, male headship, right? We need to start getting that, that caravan together. We need to start getting people in church and getting our families in church. And then by doing that, more and more, we're going to reverse these statistics, Joe. Okay, this is great. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna. I, I agree with you, and I'll piggyback off of you, and I'm gonna say this. Imagine you have somebody, you have a wife who's taking her husband to church because he's really not too into it, or whatever the case may be. Or, or either way, whichever way it is, the wife or the husband, whoever, they're coming to church and you have a church that is very seeker friendly and they're thinking, well, there's people here that really don't know much about the Bible or about the gospel. So I have to dumb down this message in some way to make it digestible for these people, right? And then before you know it, you're just watering down the message over and over and over again. Before you know it, you don't even have a message, right? This is, this is what winds up happening, right? Because if people are not willing to grow spiritually in the church and you can't take them up to the next level, we're not going to go anywhere else. We have to stay at baseline. We already know this. Studies even show it. When human beings don't make progress in a certain area, they drop out. If you feel like you're, not, you're making no spiritual progress, no intellectual progress in church, you're making no relational progress in church, right, sociologically, you're going to leave. It's, it, it's totally normal.
I'm going to read this study before I get into the next portion of what we're going to be talking about here. But a 2015 study by the American Sociological Association revealed that women initiate 69% of all divorces in the United States. If we round up, it's 70%. I'm going to use 70 because 70 is a stronger number. 2015 study, the American Sociological Association revealed that women initiate 69% of all divorces in the United States. Further, the same study found that college-educated women initiate divorce at, even at an even higher rate of 90%. So women, across the board, initiate 70% of the divorces. College-educated women initiate 90% of the divorces. Why do you think that is? Okay, it, it, okay, there's no male leadership. Anybody else? Here's the thing. What he just said. Okay, so we're going to go with both of these. Okay? Eddie's answer and your answer. You said that because universities are the home of secularism, right? Universities teach women that their goal in life is to become a career woman, and that is what's going to make you happy. Become a career woman, make as much money as humanly possible. You don't need a man, and you don't need to have kids. You need to be independent on your own. This is, this is what's, what's taught, okay? It's not Genesis 1, 2, and 3. They're not getting that. They're getting be a career woman, make as much money as possible, go out, blah, 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 whatever the case may be. You don't need a man. Now, couple that with your answer. Now, what did you say? You said that, that maybe it could be because... Okay, now here's the thing about female nature. You've got to understand something, all right? And I'm not trying to be a pickup artist right now, but you've got to understand this about women. And this is, this is this, the elites know this, and they've woven this into our society in such a way to create very high divorce rates, okay? Around weak men. That's what this is. Women, by nature, he talks about this, I think, in the book, but if you, don't, if, if you want to just look this up online, you can. You go to YouTube, type in Jordan Peterson hypergamy. So you got to type in Jordan Peterson hypergamy, okay? Women are hypergamous by nature. What that means is that women mate, they look for mates across and up dominance hierarchies. That means that, Mark is familiar, you, you, I see you pointing up. Women are going to look for a man that is stronger than them. It, it, it's woven into our biology. This is how women are. They want to be with a man that is stronger than them, that can protect them, that can take them in, that can care for them, that can sire, they can sire good children. This man can protect me and so on and so forth. This is what we have thousands of years behind us bringing us to 2023 where we're at today, right? But now here's the problem. If I teach a woman, now I'm a university uh, professor, and I'm teaching a woman that she can go to college, and the greatest, the highest achievement is not to have children, not to be married, or anything like that. It's just to be a career woman and make lots of money, and you don't need a man, right? And, and she's climbing the ladder, and she's now 23, 24, 25 years old, and she makes $250,000 a year. What does she need a dude for? I don't need a man. I can take care of myself. I'm independent, Right? Or what if she even she she gets the man and it's like okay this is getting boring right because because I'm up here and the dude is down here right like I and, and in a society like we live in we can get away with this women can do it two percent without a doubt of earnings yeah. Right. 
what percent of guys are really there? And we're, make, we're, making this, we're making this very difficult for those women also because I think that those women have very unrealistic expectations of what's actually out there for option pools for them too because let's, let's just be real. The majority of men, I think, I, I'm pretty sure the last study that I looked at, which was taken, I think, from 2018, the majority of, if, you, if a woman is looking for a man who is six feet tall, in decent shape, and makes over $100,000 a year, the chances of her finding him are like 0.1 something percent. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So now you have a woman who's making a gazillion dollars a year, who's all the way up here, and she's like, well, I need somebody that's 6'5", makes more money than me, and blah, blah, blah. Now it's 0.01% of men you're going to find. Right. Right. And she's going to be looking for all the wrong things, right? But, but because she's not looking for protection, safety, all the things that God had has has instilled in women. Does anybody know what the average salary of a man between twenty five and fifty years old is in the United States? Sixty grand. What about you? Seventy five. Anybody? Yeah. $34,000. not. That's, I'm, not, I'm not making it up. So now, we are teaching women in fen-centric universities that they don't need men, that they can live without men, right? And this is, this is creating a skewed option pool inside and outside of the church. Women are hypergamous, right? They're looking for strong men. They can't find them. They're only finding men who make $35,000 a year, right? Not, the option pool is slimming, getting thinner and thinner. We're, they're doing this on purpose. They're doing this because, because they know that in the next 10 to 15 years, most women are not going to be married and most women are not going to be given birth. Folks, it's the opposite of be fruitful and multiply. You see what they're doing? It's a, it's a genius tactic. It's a genius tool. And, they're just, and, and it's just math. In the next 10 to 15 years, if we keep going like this, there will be, this is population control. You won't need to poison people with vaccines anymore. Okay? You just have men and women who aren't getting married and aren't having children. And we just make abortion an option, and boom, there's no more people on the planet. Are you guys following me so far? All right. I want everybody now to, to help me out here. Describe a man. When I say man, all right, well, I'm going to get this out of the way because somebody's probably going to say it. Jesus. Okay? Jesus, as we all know, is the apex man. He's the guy everybody wants to be. Everybody wants to be like Jesus. Describe a man and think, if you can't think of what a man is supposed to be, just think about Jesus. What was he? Okay, so let's let's do one at a time. We got courageous, right? Love it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I am. I can't even spell anymore because of these freaking iPhones. We got we have Jesus had courage. He had discipline. He was selfless. Was he? No. They think actually he was five ten. If the shroud is real, he's five ten. Um, so you don't even have to be six foot. Thank God. Um, we have courage, discipline, selfless, Strong. integrity. Well 
Okay. We have integrity. I'm going to put this up here. We have strength. Strength is key. Okay? You're going to notice something about these. A lot of these are synonymous, okay? If I'm strong, by definition, I have to have courage. You can't be strong and not have courage. Does doesn't work. It's not it, it, right. It's not it's not logical. If you if you're if if you're disciplined, you have strength. You see this? These things all go together. So what we're, when I say discipline, courage, they all fall under the umbrella of strength. I would even say selfless is, but selfless is more character. Selfless, right? And and integrity, right? This is character. Okay. We have strength. We have character. Would would you say pain? Well-spoken. Okay, so he was a communicator, right? Um, what's a good word that we could use for this? Uh, eloquent. Now, we would all like to be eloquent. Not everybody is eloquent, right? But, but, but it's something to still strive for, right? Because if you're going to lead in any capacity, you want to at least be able to command the attention of the people that you're speaking to. So we know that Jesus was eloquent. What else was Jesus? He's compassionate. I'm going to put that over here. Um, compassion. This goes into character as well. Confident. He's definitely confident. I dare you to read Matthew 23, where he gives the woes to the Pharisees and think that the man was not confident. Grounded. Right, grounded. Grounded in what? And the scriptures, right? For sure. Definitely knew who he was, right? Principle, we could put that under discipline. Okay, so all of these things were describing a man here, right? Like these are these are all good things, and we know that. I think ultimately, I think the biggest the biggest show of 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 Christ and how strong he was and his character and everything all comes together in one word: sacrifice. He was extremely sacrificial. Sacrificed everything for the will of the Father and for the love of his creation. Right? We know that. Right? So. So Jesus is the apex man. So if you want to be like Jesus, there's a couple of things you're going to have to be. Number one, you're going to have to have character. Okay? If you don't have character, if you have, if you're, <clears throat> I don't know, if, if you're an adulterer, you're a liar, you're a cheater, or whatever the case may be, you're not being like Jesus. Now, we all are those things to some degree. We need to repent, and we're never going to be like Jesus perfectly, but we do have to strive to be more and more like him so we can achieve excellence, not perfection, right? So Jesus is obviously strong. He obviously has character. He's well-spoken. He's articulate. He's smart. Slash wise. To me, there is nothing more impressive than somebody who can kill a freaking lion with their bare hands, okay, but then can sit down with you and can give you unbelievable wisdom about life that could just guide you and lead you in all truth, right? That was Jesus, right? He slayed the friggin' dragon, folks. He slayed Satan. He slayed sin. He slayed death, the enemy that we could not fight. He takes it all on himself, and he's brilliant. It's incredible. He's like the master chess player, Jesus, right? Now, you got to be strong in order to be a man. This just doesn't go mentally. It's something physically. You should be strong to whatever capacity you could be, okay? A weak man, thousands of years ago, would have died. They would not have been able to evolve. The only reason why weakness can evolve now is because we live in a society that is much softer and it's much easier. You following me so far? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this. These are statistics. 
uh, a guy named Scott Galloway. He took these um, these statistics. He wrote it's it's an opinion page that was actually on uh, CNN's website. But Scott Scott Galloway surveyed 1,800 lifters. These are people that lift weights. 1,800 lifters, ages 20 to 39, and compared their lifts in the gym to 30 years ago. Let's talk about strength, right? Talk about strength. So this is 1,800 lifters, ages 20 to 39. He compared their lifts in the gym to 30 years ago. This is what he found, okay? Bench press, the average lifter's bench press in the gym 30 years ago was 240 pounds. It's pretty good. Average bench press 30 years ago, 240 pounds. Does anybody know what it is today? 187, very good. 187 pounds. We might as well round down to 185. That's a plate and a quarter on the bar, right? 185 pounds. So 240 versus 185. It's declining, right? It's dangerously declining. The squat, 30 years ago, the average lifter between the ages I just gave you, their squat was 277 pounds, okay? That's two plates and quarters. And nobody even knows what I'm talking about unless you're in the gym. Um, now it's 225 pounds. 225 pounds. So you see, again, trending downward. Grip strength. Now I want to tell you something. Grip strength is, the new studies are coming out that are showing that your grip strength is actually an indicator of all-cause mortality. It, it's, it's statistically proven now, the stronger a person's grip is, the longer that they're going to live, and they can tell um, how long somebody will live based on their grip strength. Even if the person is extremely unhealthy, let's say he's an alcoholic and a boozer, if he has very strong grip, he will still live longer on average than he would have if his grip was not strong. Grip strength, back in the 1960s, was 120 PSI or more. Now the grip strength is 90 PSI. So you notice, all if the economy, if, if, if we have more access to food, um, if it's easier for us to live, right? It, why are we getting weaker? Why are, why are things getting worse for men? Why is this? Men have become conditioned to be more like women. That's exactly what it is. Men have become conditioned to be more like women. The average male testosterone levels, okay, this is from Dr. Anthony J. You can go look him up online, Dr. Anthony J. The average male testosterone levels, okay, have dropped one percentage point every year since the 1970s. Guys, all right, I'm not saying this because I'm a gym head. That is absurd. It drops one percentage point every year from the 1970s until now. That means in the 1970s, the average male's testosterone level was like 700, which still isn't really that high. And now the average testosterone level is in the 300s. The 300s. They keep lowering the reference range of a male's testosterone level on, on all of these blood tests because, because they're, they, they, they see like we, we have to change the reference ranges for people because we're getting weaker and weaker. The numbers are getting smaller and smaller. Okay, our ancestors a thousand years ago, the average male testosterone level was 1,500. 1,500. You would have to take drugs to be on 1,500 now. Okay, why am I saying this? Why is all this important? Why is testosterone, this thing that I'm talking about, important? Okay, there's a little bit of a science, a science lecture here. The male body cannot function without testosterone in it. It just can't do it, okay? We need testosterone to balance every other hormone in the body. If you don't have enough testosterone in your body, you're going to have too much estrogen. You're going to start acting and feeling like a woman. You're going to be more emotional. You're going to be weak. You're going to be tired. You're going to be depressed. You're not, you're not going to be strong anymore, right? It's, it's going to throw your entire body off. It creates extremely difficult um, mental health issues when the man does not have enough testosterone in his body. You follow me so far? So we have to be strong if we're going to be men. 
right? If we're going to be like Jesus. The problem is that we're getting substantially weaker physically. Okay, substantially weaker physically. But we're not just getting weaker physically. We're getting weaker mentally because there's no way that you're going to be strong mentally. You're not going to have discipline. You're not going to be selfish. You're not going to have integrity. You're not going to be courageous if testosterone levels are, are gradually declining. This is number two. I want you to look at this. This is men's health. We're going to talk about men's health right now. The same study I'm, I'm, I'm referring to. Men are falling behind women in high school and college attendance and graduation. Men are more likely to use illicit drugs in higher rates than women, thus increasing the amount of hospital visits in men over women. 93% of prison inmates are male. 98% of death row inmates are male. Men are more likely to become homeless for longer periods of time. Men are becoming weaker than, than women across the board in almost all data outcomes. Men now account for 41% of college enrollments, down from 60% in the 1970s. In, in, in a few years, women will outpopulate colleges two to one. In a few years, this is the 2021 study, in a few years, women, there will be a two to one woman to male ratio in colleges. What's going on? Right? What's, what's wrong? There's, because there's, there's a lot of estrogen, it's not a lot of testosterone. More than 9 in 10 of mass violent attackers were male, and more than two-thirds of them were under the age of 35. Now, he gets into a whole lot of other studies here, which he goes on to say, the most dangerous person in the world is a broke and alone male. The most dangerous person in the world, a broke and alone male. Now, why is this dangerous? Number one, it's not even being talked about in church. This is not something that nobody even goes near this topic. This doesn't exist in most churches, okay? But why is this important? I have, I have a, a re, outside of the fact that nobody is standing on the front line to fight, um, why is this important? I'm looking for a specific answer. Mental health. Well, yeah, we know that men at higher suicide rates in the male population. Men are killing themselves. In They have no purpose, right? So men will do anything to feel significant, right? Which is... Which is what proven, even proven, we all know it's all, it's all men, these mass shootings, these kids lose their mind. Not a part of anything, there's no, yeah, there's no, right, so, yep. They also have nothing to lose, that's right. Broken, alone, dangerous, you have nothing to lose, Mark. Yeah, it's awful. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the church has not made it an easy place for men to be open about their issues. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm, look, I'm looking for a specific answer. That's probably the reason why uh, leadership in men has improved. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And if the men aren't there to take their role, a woman has to step up, right? I'm looking for a specific answer, though. It's very dear to my heart. It's very dear to my heart. All of these things that we're talking about, they create a serious problem. What is the serious problem? Is it men? men, because they don't feel like men, they don't feel significant. Here's the question. Who's raising the kids? This is the question. It's definitely not dads. If men are this weak, if we're this weak, right, and we're siring children, who's raising those children? Well, yeah, of course. 
Now I'm going to give you some statistics here. Fatherlessness in America. This is, this is the next, this is the problem. This is the reason why we have to meet. Again, secularism has destroyed the family unit. They've destroyed male headship. They, they, they flip-flop everything. And now we have this situation where systematically men are getting weaker. We're losing testosterone. We're becoming more infertile. Women are, it's population control, blah, blah, blah. Father brings us to fatherlessness in America. Are you ready for this? The United States has the highest rate of children living in single-parent households of any nation in the world. The United States has the highest rate of children living in single-parent households of any nation in the world. We are supposed to be the greatest nation on planet Earth. Dads are not around. Dads are gone. Any nation in the world, I'm talking about, we're, we're competing with the rest of the population. We are in last place. How is this possible? Look at this. 80% of single-parent homes, church, listen to me. 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, which is over three times the world average. The world average is 7%. We are 23%. We make up 23% of fatherless homes in the world. We lead. We're in charge of this. We are leading a fatherless charge in America. That's what we're doing. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 63% of teen suicides, and 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from a fatherless home. I'm going to read that again. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 63% of teen suicides, and 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from a fatherless home. Where are the men? Where are the men? Fatherlessness has a direct link on teen pregnancies and sexual activity. Roughly 70% of teenage pregnancies come from women raised in fatherless homes. And these same women have significantly higher abortion rates than women raised with both a father and a mother. You see my case that I'm making here, right? I'm making a cumulative case for you to see what's going on and how they've systematically ravaged America. And it's, and, and it's only America, okay? This is not every other nation in the world. It's only in the nation where you have the most freedom and you have the most comfort. Okay, that feminism can thrive and we could be pushing this agenda and we could wind up with these, with these terrible statistics. Fatherless kids are 20 times more likely to be incarcerated and 11 times more likely to exhibit violent behavior than children of two-parent households. Of course. Yeah, of course. 20% more likely if you grow up without a dad to be incarcerated, 11 times more likely to exhibit violent behavior than children of two-parent households. I remember when I was in the third grade, I remember I stabbed my mother in the stomach with a pencil. I was always angry. Didn't even know why I was angry when I was in the third grade, but I was angry. I, didn't even, I thought my dad was away at work still. I didn't even know my dad was in jail. I didn't know what was going on, but I grew up angry all the time. Reckless fighting on the street as a kid, broken noses, teeth missing in the first grade. What is that? It was fatherlessness. That's what does it. And I, and I grew up in an amazing house, and it was still brutal, and it was still terrible. This, this statistic, like, I, I, it knocked me over when I read it. If a child is raised, listen to this, guys. If a child is raised with both parents, they are less likely to wind up in jail. That should seem obvious. However, 
they have the same chance as a child raised with just their father. I'm going to say that again. A child raised with both, with both parents are less likely to wind up in jail. However, they have the same chance as a child raised with just their father. So hang on. A single dad who's raising their kids will be able to raise their kids in such a way that they can beat all of those statistics. But a single mother raises her kids, she can't beat those statistics. That's incredible. That's a recent study. This is 2022. It shows the strength of male leadership, folks. Let me tell you something. My dad, I grew up, my dad was in jail my entire life, okay? But every time he called and he spoke to me on the phone and we would talk, I remember one time I got into a fight. There was a bully on my block. I got into a fight and I remember I, I got beat up pretty bad. He was like four years older than me. And I remember I went home. I was crying. I was upset. I talked to my Uncle Joe. And my Uncle Joe, he was like, listen, kid, he's like, bullies ain't going to go away unless you hit them back. They hit you, you got to hit them back. Okay, this is, this is a lesson you got to learn as a man. It's a hard thing. It was hard to listen to him. I was afraid. I didn't want to get beat up. I was getting picked on. I didn't like it, right? Remember, my dad called on the phone one day. My mom gave me the phone. She's like, hey, your dad's on the phone. I was talking with my dad. My dad said, hey, listen, I heard that, uh, I heard, you know, your, your mother told me you guys were fight with somebody. What happened? I tell him the story. He's like, well, did you talk to Uncle Joey about it? I said, yeah, I talked to Uncle Joey about it. He said, what did Uncle Joey say to do? Uncle Joey said to hit him back. I never forget what my dad said. Didn't, didn't belabor the point, didn't get into it. He said, listen to your uncle. He knows what he's talking about. Everything Uncle Joey says, just listen to him. That was the power of my dad's authority from a phone, from a phone call where he's 800 miles away. I hung up the phone and said, I got to listen to my uncle. There was just something about the fact that that came from my dad, the influence that he had, even though he was, he was 800 miles away, incarcerated at the time in Indiana, just him calling and saying, listen to Uncle Joey. I said, all right. You see, that's the thing, folks. That's, that's the power of masculinity. It's something that God gave us as men, okay? The ability to reprimand, to teach your children values, to teach your kids coach, to, to coach your kids, to teach them strength, okay? I, I, Rich, I don't mean to call you out on this, but Rich is a single parent. Rich raised his daughter alone. I just baptized her last summer. Kids got an amazing testimony. Yeah, we could give him a hand. My mom, my mom even gave Rich a shout out at the baptism when I was baptizing Rihanna. That is the power of male leadership, folks. Okay? That's something that God gave us. We need to be there for our children. Anybody who grew up without their dad or lost their dad at a particular time in their life, you know how devastating it is. You know how hard it is. Maybe you grew up, maybe you're in here, you grew up without your dad. Maybe you grew up and your dad was a piece of crap parent. Guess what? Now's the time to change that. Now's the time to move forward and we're going to be more and more like Jesus and become more and more like the men that we're called to be. Amen? So watch this now. After everything that I just said to you that we just talked about, what does this all mean? This is what it means. I'm going to tell you this. If men step up, if fathers step up, we can lower crime. We can lower mental health issues. We can help the economy. We can lower suicide rates. We can decrease homelessness. We can bring back the nuclear intact family. Do you realize that all of these statistics are tied to men being in the house? It's all tied to masculinity. If we just have men around, folks, suicide rates down, the economy is better, more people are working. Folks, the black community decimated. Decimated 75% of black mothers are raising children without fathers. That was a statistic from 2014. I bet you it's worse now. But it's not just men being in the house. 
Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. But that's but that's part of being a man. You could be, you could be. And there, I actually there actually is a study though that I looked at that showed that children are still better off having two parents that hate them hate each other in the house than just one mother. It's actually a study. I didn't put it in here because it was a part of a whole bunch of other statistics. But I do agree with you. It is still better, obviously, to have. To, but again, this is the point of discipleship, right? We need to get men in the church, and then the men need to be discipled, right? So now if you can get men in the church and we can disciple them, we're not going to run into that problem. Now you may have, and, and again, a lot of kids grow up with their dads, and they grow up a little jaded and so on and so forth. But what I'm talking about are these strong outliers, right, where like you just see that when the dad is not around, kids wind up dead or in jail. Dad's not around, you're 20 times more likely to wind up in jail, you're 10 times more likely to wind up dead, right? Now... Why is this in America? This is the last, the last thing we're going to cover tonight. We could talk about it. We could do whatever we want after this. Why do you think this is in America? I have reasons for thinking this. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have my opinion on it, and I think I can make a good case for it. Why do you think that this has happened that's only happened in America? What's that? We like Sweden, you said? Life is too easy. Okay, that's true. I mean, life has definitely gotten too easy. That's possible. If you're a single, I work for You're a single parent, you're eligible for a son of So why do I need a dad around? Well, that's right. Because you're not providing Okay, so that's my, I have that for, for number two. I'm going to write that down, though. You hear, everybody hear what he just said? Okay. The reason why a lot of this has happened is this is my second reason is because of the welfare state. Go ahead, Joe. Well, men are not doing anything about it. I want to go. I want to go back before that, though. Why men are not doing anything about it? Why we wound up in this problem? In this in this predicament? Right, I agree. Now, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, a good clue here because you're on the right track. At some point in America, at some point throughout throughout the 1900s, all of these stats tried to started to turn out of our favor. Does anybody know what decade that was? The 60s. That's right. Number one, 1963, John F. Kennedy removed prayer from all public schools. He did not just remove prayer from public schools. He removed the ability to teach Judeo world, the Judeo worldview Christian values. Yeah, yeah, that's what he removed. Pretty sure it was JFK. He removed the ability for us to teach Judeo Christian values, objective moral values and duties. What are we talking about before, right? It comes from God. What other game in town is there? If there's no God in public schools, there's no God allowed, what's the, what, what, what are they going to teach you? They're definitely going to teach you government, which comes from this. Boom. In the 1960s, they started teaching us secularism in public education without us actually knowing it. Without us actually knowing it. Because... If you remove if you remove God from public schools and the ability to teach 
Adam and Eve, man and woman, right? Sex and gender are not malleable. All of these things. Objective moral values and duties. Uh, everything comes out of this. Roe versus Wade came out of this. Again, exactly. It all started from, it all wound up starting from the 60s. The next thing, the next problem that we have is that Lyndon Baines Johnson, he introduced the welfare state, right? Now, this is what Steve was just talking about. This makes life easy. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to take care of poor people, because we do. What I'm saying is it's not the government's job to take care of them. That's all I'm saying. What's that? It has become generational. It has become a tool. If you take a society and you tell them that we will give them free things, we will make life easier for them, right? Our natural predication is to go towards comfort. What's going to happen? You're going to become lazy. You're definitely going to become entitled. Definitely going to become entitled. Exactly, 100%. You're 100%. I know. Every, every, I think everything falls right into this. We saw that the introduction, of, the introduction of the welfare state has destroyed the black community. Just so you know. Fatherlessness in the black community has gone up gazillion fold because of the welfare state. Because the industrial revolution brought about very good things in the black community. Everybody was working. It was strong. The car industry wound up taking a hit. I can't explain all of it. And they introduced the welfare state simultaneously, and it wound up wreaking havoc in the United States. And this is... Yeah. Uh, we came from Puerto Rico in 100, that's exactly right. The government was giving them even more money. And then, uh, I'm not ashamed to say this, but one of my sisters who was here way before we were, she came in the early 60s. Uh, she ended up having seven children. And she had to explain every year she had a new baby. What happened? Who, how come? You have a baby. What is the father? Right. Oh, he came, he got me pregnant, he left again. Right. And the government took this. Understand? Isn't it funny though? This goes back to like the so sin nature too. My father, my father came here and immediately he got two jobs. God bless him. My father got his strength. Why are you doing this? But this is what I was taught. Now, back then, when I came here in Puerto Rico, people used to work. And depended on, you know, the family depended on the men. Yeah. Now, Puerto Rico has become so Americanized that now the majority of the people right. over there are doing the same thing. I just read these statistics. Yes. I actually just read these the other day when I was searching for these. It's very interesting. You know what's funny, too, about what you're saying is that when you think about it, 
it goes back to the sin nature of humanity, right? Because if I'm willing, if, if, if a person who doesn't know God and doesn't realize what they're doing is wrong, they don't have those Judeo-Christian values, when they are met with a handout, they're going to take it. They're not going to understand the overriding principle that a man works. I mean, the Bible even says it. Paul says it to Timothy. He says a man who doesn't provide for his family is a heathen. Little do they know that My father, can you still same thing that he had in me and my brothers after me? You understand? Yeah. That's character. And he knows he was. It is. It is. But 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 that's it. I was. Just, oh, I was just about to say that. Hear what he just said? He. I don't mean you could. You could say it. He's. What he just said, my father, he instilled that in me. And Rich said, that's generational. And the same way the government removed the phrase from the school because it's teaching our children, they are given handouts to the woman, which is taking away the blessing and God out of There's that spiritual element. Yep. 100%. Right. They, what, what can God bless? There's absolutely nothing to bless now. Yeah. So, with all, and they're lying, right? So, and, but the thing, they're, they're, they're pulling on the sin nature. I know that if I don't tell the truth, I get more money. Who's not going to take that? They already, they already know that. So, they're doomed. I agree. I agree. I agree. It's going to wind up a broken, terrible, disgusting thing where both the man and the woman are lying in order to, to make a buck. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it too, even on a logical level, like if you're willing to lie and you're willing to go there, right? You're willing to abandon your principles on this issue. Well, what other principles are you willing to abandon? All other ones, probably reprimanding, disciplining your child, all sorts of stuff. You're not going to coach them the right way, right? So again, I think that this goes back to you remove God out of the equation. You introduce secularism in the 60s. You introduce the welfare state, all of these things, the handouts, so on and so forth. These things pull on your sin nature. They tug on us, right? Men are no longer in the home now. Ever since the 1960s, this was the massive turning point. And number three, public education is poison. Not only is it poison, it's god-awful. It doesn't work. We've, we're like last in education in the nation. It just doesn't work. It's trash. They, and they'll tell you to go to school and get a degree. Go to school and get a degree. You're going to be smart. We're going to pay you a lot of money. Most people wind up in debt and can't afford to pay off the loans. I know. I, I, I just read it the other day. This is the only reason, and this is the only reason why I said, you know what, let's do Jordan Peterson's book, because at the end of the day, you can't get worse from it. Okay? You don't understand it? Don't worry. I'll explain the chapter to you. At least you did it. At least you read through it and you tried, right? Reading is knowledge. It's a muscle. Reading is just a muscle. If you're not good at reading, the more you do it, the better at it you're going to get. I wasn't good at reading until I practiced it day in and day out. Now I read over 20 books a year, right? So, again, all of these things moving forward, folks, we have to understand in closing, I'm going to say this. We, I don't know how, I can't say this any more than I already have, but I just, I have to reverberate to get the point across here. Um, I say it almost every Sunday. We are at war. Okay, 
It may not be the war that we think that it is. The, they've, the uh, society, culture, they have crafted it in such a way as to where it just looks like your basic everyday reality. But at the end of the day, folks, we are at war. And if we don't fight the war head on, we're doomed. We, you may not see its total destruction in your lifetime. You may not see it. But I guarantee you that if we don't stop this train, my kids' generation absolutely is going to see the destruction uh, and the downfall of American civilization, without a doubt. Does anybody have any questions? No, 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 go, go. Ask him. All right. What do you mean, collect, 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 collect? Oh, right, right. I think that's the problem. You're you're looking outside of this for you're looking outside of your own self and saying, how do I fix that problem? We have to fix that problem right here first, because we already have the problems in the church. We need to fix it internally. I think the biggest problem is that nobody in the church thinks the same way. This is the biggest problem. If I have a church full of men who all think just like Mike, we're unstoppable. This is kingdom. That's what it's all about, right? If, if all of Israel thought like David, Goliath and the Philistines would not have had a chance. We got to get everybody thinking the same way. And I even said this, if we can't, if we can't communicate and collaborate on theology, we're never going to get that right. We at least need to agree on who our enemy is. If we can't even agree on who the enemy is, we're screwed, right? But the only place to start is right here. This is it. It's got to start in-house. It's got to start here. We all need to know who the enemy is. We need to know who the good guys are. We need to know how to fight the enemy. And we need to start building something generationally. We need to start building it right here, right now. We have to think long game. Don't even think short game. Think long game. We need to start building something now that's going to outlast us, that we can pass on to our kids. We need to build a church that we can pass on to other generations, our children's kids, whatever the case may be, so that they can have, they, they can have a way to fight, fight the system and to, and, to, and to push back against this agenda. What's that? Be the change you want to see. That's it. Be the change you want to see, 100%. Any other questions? Anybody? It can be anything. All right, so read chapter 1. Again, like I said, try to take notes. Do the best you can. I would write down the page number from, from the, the note that you took. All right? So let's just say you're on page 15. This looks cool. You could write page 15, line, blah, blah, blah. So you can go back and just reference it right there. Or you could just write it down in the book. And then we'll open it up next week to start talking about more and more of this, right? So that's good, everybody? Real good? So Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray that you just bless everybody that came here today. Father, I pray that you help us to grow, uh, to be stronger, to be wiser, to be more intact, to be more eloquent. Father, I pray that you help us and give us the tools to build your kingdom on earth. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.